In both these passages, there are two very key ideas. The idea of repent and the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. In the series, I am uh, talking about things that are on my heart, on my mind, and frankly are in my journal. Uh, stuff that I'm just kind of working through. And I recently heard another pastor make a comment about Matthew's verse, this one that we've read, that frankly stopped me very sharply. And uh, it has been in my journal for probably a couple of weeks. Here's the quote. Most people repent enough to be saved, but not enough to see the kingdom. Bill Johnson. Most people repent enough to be saved, to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom of heaven. That got my attention. As you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking a little bit about this. You know, the stuff that we read in the Bible and the stuff that I see in the church kind of looks a little different, and I'm, I'm concerned about that and, and just trying to process that on my own, not simply as a church leader, but also as a disciple of Jesus myself and, and seeing the things that his disciples did and the stuff that I see in my own life, and I'm like, now, wait a second, there's some discontinuity here. And then I come across this quote, most people repent enough to be saved, <laughs> but not enough to see the kingdom. i got to be honest, there's a little part of me that, that went, ouch, that hurts more than a little. My, my, my concern is the stuff I read seems to be absent in the church. And I'm not just talking about you know, one particular church, I'm just talking about the church in general. Now, to be fair, I, I have to admit, I've, I've always been a little uncomfortable with the word repentance. Can I, can, I just, can I just be honest about that? I don't like that word. And, and I think probably none of you do either. <laughs> this idea of repentance. Because every time I think about the word repentance, in my head, I've got this image of a street preacher, you know, with the, with the big sign that says repent and then something about hell, right? I mean, how many of you have seen these? Right? And the, the funniest thing is, I always find them at Christian concerts. I don't understand that. But okay, you know, fair enough. Um, that's the image in my head. And I think just from in my own mind, and, and maybe this isn't you, but for me, when I, when I think about repentance, I think about extreme remorse. Kind of like sackcloth and ashes sort of thing. Um, groveling comes to comes to my, my mind. You know, you're going to repent and you're just kind of in the ground and oh, you know, this super emotional. Now, to be, to be honest, that it, it, it might involve things like that, but, but that seems to be that type of over-emotional thinking, at least in my mind, seems more like shame to me than it does repentance. If I understand repentance correctly. I don't think that repentance involves kind of groveling on the ground looking for mercy. I don't think that's what it is. Uh, you might have an act of contrition or something like that, but I don't, I don't know if it's this over-emotional type of thing that seems to be in my head. In fact, I think that if you're going to express you know, some, some remorse and you're going to go through the process of repentance, shame may be a false repentance. 
that, you know, we just feel bad about it. And, and, and there's actually no turning because that's what repentance means. To turn from one thing to something else. That's all it means. There isn't this um, emotional idea that, I don't know, maybe this is just in my mind. Maybe you all got this worked out. I don't. But this idea of repentance for me has always been the super emotional thing. Because I think what often happens, especially if we're dealing with, with stuff you know, like you know, f- false repentance and shame and whatnot, the vast majority of us end up in a very odd pattern. Let's see if I can describe this and see if it resonates with you because I think this is really important. Most of us, we are aware of something that is either sinful or unhealthy for us. Okay? We're, we're aware of it. In fact, I know that <clears throat> if we were in a counseling environment and I sat down and we got gut level honest with each other and we trusted each other, I could probably um, find out from you that there is something in your life that you are not proud of. I, you know, it's just most people, I just presume that about people. I'm not judging them, I just know that it's a fallen and broken world and most people don't get out unscathed. In fact, nobody does. So there's probably something in, in your past that you're, you know, you're not happy about. Um, <clears throat> there might be some, some choices that you're making that are unhealthy. I mean, everybody has those kinds of things because of the world that we live in. And normally what happens is we feel sad about that. There's a certain amount of sorrow. There's a certain amount of remorse for it. And, and we kind of just, oh man, there's a little bit of depression, right? And depending on what that issue is, after a while, something begins to occur. You get fed up with feeling that way. We all do. We get fed up feeling lousy about ourselves. And what happens nine times out of ten, probably 9.9 times out of ten, is then we get mad about it. Has that ever happened to you? I'm not going to take it anymore. And so you decide to, you know, get healthier. You decide to to, to, to handle that issue or to go get, you know, maybe get some counseling. or It doesn't matter. The point is, is that you get fed up with feeling so lousy about yourself that you get mad and you decide to do something different. But how long does that last? Pretty soon that, that wave of frustration and anger begins to wane and then you realize that you've fallen off the wagon and then you feel sad again. Ever happened to you? And then after a little while, you get so fed up with feeling lousy about yourself that you end up trying to make a new choice and you ride this wave of anger only to fall off the wagon again, to feel sad. And and it's this never-ending loop. In fact, it's called the crazy eight. Did you know that? Very common pattern for human beings. We're sad and depressed, we get tired of it, we get angry, we try to make changes, and we slip, and we feel bad about it, back and forth, over and over. And we wonder why it's so hard to make changes in our lives. Why can't I get over this? Why can't I just get this right? Why can't I deal with fill in the blank, your blank, whatever it happens to be? We want to make changes, and they're important changes. We know that they are, and and we want to actually make them. But instead of getting healthy, we end up feeling trapped in this infinite emotional loop called the crazy eight. Happens all the time. 
And some of you, as I'm describing this, deep down in your heart, you're going, oh, yeah. That's happened to me before. Some of you are in the middle of this right now, and you know it. Now, that doesn't mean that, that repentance doesn't have emotion to it. Don't, don't get me wrong, because there, there might be some remorse, there might be some sadness, but you have to understand that it leads to a good thing, not just to anger and sadness, okay? Um, in fact, Paul, the New Testament writer, gives us some help. He writes this in 2 Corinthians. Godly sorrow, not emotional drama, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Isn't that beautiful? But worldly sorrow brings death. Yeah, because you're caught in this loop over and over again, sad to mad, mad to sad, and then back again, and we're going back and forth on this. And, And the death may or may not be physical, but it certainly feels like, man, I just can't get it right. And then you die a little bit inside every time you go through it. And you think, maybe this time I can ride that wave of anger and frustration and finally get it, and lo and behold, a month later, you're feeling lousy again. But godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Now, here's the thing. It's really easy to take that word salvation and think entirely about eternity. Well, obviously, you know, we're, we're saved and when we're saved, that means that when we die, we get to spend, spend eternity in heaven, right? That's what saved means. That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything else. It just means about your soul going to be with Jesus, right? Wrong. This word in Greek, saved, also means to be delivered. To be delivered. And so we think of salvation as eternity. We're actually missing a big part of this word. We we are saved from death, and yes, we can go to heaven, but that's not the entire story. That's a big part of it, don't get me wrong. But it's not the entire story. It's not the whole enchilada, so to speak. There's more to it. The term is more general, meaning deliverance from things like sin and torment. In other words, it means freedom. Godly sorrow brings repentance, a turn from one thing to another that leads to salvation, that leads to deliverance, that leads to freedom. You can substitute the words in there. And leaves no regret. How many would you agree that freedom is not something that you would regret? I mean like real freedom. Like outside of the infinite loop of sad and mad, right? Outside of the crazy eight. Now it may require that you um, get some help for your, for your recovery. And I'm not saying that this is easy, but ultimately, um, ultimately, freedom is what we're after. And maybe, just maybe, the very first thing that we need to repent from is the crazy eight. Maybe this loop of emotional drama with sad and mad that we get wrapped up in from time to time is the first thing we need to say, that's not healthy. Lord, I need some help breaking free from that. And let me tell you, in this case, knowledge is power. Sometimes just recognizing the fact that you're caught up in the loop is really the key to breaking out of it. Oh, here we go again. I'm getting mad. 
I'm getting angry about this. Um, let me give you a, a brief example of this. <clears throat> I have a project that has been sitting on my, my desk uh, for quite some time um, for Thrive Church. And um, the staff n- knows it. Well, they know what it is. Um, <clears throat> I try not to put an explicative in front of it, but I'm going to be honest, sometimes the most holy words don't come out of my mouth when it comes to this particular project. But what I've noticed over and over again is that I get really angry because it's not done yet, and so I'll try to block off some time, and I'll block off the time to try to get this thing done, trying to knock that thing out, and then something will happen and co-op the day, and it doesn't get done, and guess how I'm feeling the next day? Lousy. And when you feel lousy, you don't feel like dealing with it. Right? Caught in the infinite loop of mad and sad, and the first thing we need to do is to repent of that right there, and say, Lord, I know that that's not the healthy thing for me to do. And I need some assistance, Lord. And most of you know what it is. Not always, but you might need some help, and it's not easy. But when we repent of things like the crazy eight, it frees us to live out real change. It frees us. It's freedom. And freedom sounds an awful lot like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I'll be honest, to be truly free of those things that bring us down sounds an awful, awful, awfully heavenly to me. How about you? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that sounds like that's the kind of world I want to live in where I'm free to actually love people and not feel lousy about myself and get mad all the time. That sounds like freedom. That sounds like heaven. Not just forgiven and saved for eternity, but delivered from the things that keep us from being all that God created us to be. This is why why Paul writes in Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You must think differently. Instead of the mad, sad routine, you have to think differently. You have to understand that that's the trap, that's the pattern of the world, and most of your friends do this too. That's why it's so easy, because you've seen it before. And most of you have probably learned it from your parents. And that's not the only pattern. Obviously, there's others. This is just the one that seems to make the most sense, because I see it all the time, and frankly, I see it in myself. And so we see this, this pattern, and in order to be free of it, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to think differently. No more crazy eight. Learn to think differently and live with the Holy Spirit both in us and upon us, both. And we have to learn how to turn from the things that keep us from the kingdom. And now all of a sudden, Johnson's words are really quite potent. We repent enough to be saved, but not repent, we don't repent enough to see the kingdom. And <clears throat> when we're doing the kingdom, um, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. And then we're freed to actually do kingdom sorts of things, which begs the question, what do kingdom citizens do? What do they actually do? 
if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom, wouldn't it be an, a good idea to know what it, what it is that they actually do day in and day out, maybe? Well, to that end, let's consider Jesus and the first citizens, the 12 disciples. Here we find it in Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Jesus appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. That's what he did. Mark chapter 3. Then there's a series of events and a series of lessons that occur over the next couple of chapters. And then in chapter 6, we read this. Jesus began to send them out two by two. They went out and preached that people should, what's the word? Repent. Turn. Do something different. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. That's what kingdom citizens do. Pretty simple. And that sounds an awful lot like signs and wonders to me. How about you? Remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about signs and wonders a little bit? Yeah. Perhaps with a renewed mind, we can bring Holy Spirit into our prayers for others. and sick people will become well. And evil spirits will be cast out. And people will turn from the things that are so destructive and not get wrapped up in crazy eights. Now, here's the thing. You might not see the fruit right away, okay? You might not, because there's a learning curve to this. And for some of us, myself included, it's pretty steep. I need carabiners and ropes to help me up that, that curve sometimes. But I remember um, hearing a story, uh, John Wimber, the <clears throat> founder of the, the Vineyard Movement, um, had a very powerful healing ministry in his church. Uh, I remember him uh, telling a story about um, a woman uh, who came to him and uh, she said, uh, they, uh, he asked the question, you know, what, what, what's the problem? Uh, he didn't want to know the diagnosis, he just wanted to know where it would hurt. That's the way John worked. And the woman said to him, because uh, I can't raise my, my arm above my shoulder. And he says, okay, well, let's pray for healing. And so they prayed for healing and nothing happened. And the woman said, no, you don't understand. I was born without the joint to raise my arm above my shoulder. And Wimber looked at her and said <laughs> very plainly, oh, you don't need a healing. You need a miracle. Receive it in Jesus' name. A woman's arm shot up like this. Now, that's pretty, pretty dramatic and pretty cool, right? I mean, I'd like to see that too. That would be kind of fun to see. But there's another case where a person came to, to Wimber and, and said, you know, I have a couple of friends that I've been praying for and they didn't get well. Um, they weren't healed. And so I'm not sure about all this stuff. And Wimber said... <laughs> point blank, in a very loving style, he says, well, after you pray to, you know, for a thousand people, then we'll, come, then, then we'll talk. Because it's a learning curve. Sometimes God shows up in a miraculous way right there on the spot, and other times it takes him time to teach us how to do things and how to do it with the right heart and with the right attitude, and it, it takes both of those. 
And so that's why it's a, it's a customized process for everyone. No one size fits all when it comes to discipleship. It just doesn't. Because <clears throat> we all have different things that we have to learn at, at different times. And this is why Paul, I think, writes, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. I don't know how many times I've read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, and never caught that. There's, a, there's a, a, another translation that says, um, pursue the way of love as if your life depends on it. I kind of like that. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And there's a reason why he goes into prophecy later on in 1 Corinthians 14. Oh, and by the way, a <laughs> little side note here that I think is important. The other thing that we're free to do when we get free, when we repent, is we're free to love. Because sometimes I think that's the most important thing at all, of all. In fact, I know it's the most important thing of all because I'm not sure you can do signs and wonders and I'm not sure that you can actually um, you know, follow God without love. It's why we have 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Which, by the way, if you're looking at the text, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, both talk about gifts of the Spirit. Things like signs and wonders, and smack dab in the middle is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It's not just for weddings. The idea here is that it's so central to the things that we do, but so, so many of us are wrapped up in the sad, mad, crazy eight that we're so focused on ourselves that it's really difficult to love other people. In fact, for some of us, we're so caught up in the circle, we can't even love ourselves. That's not what God has for you. That's not what he has in mind. Not at all. So we're, we're not only free to do citizen things, but we're also free to love. And what, what I think you can begin to see here is that repentance is the first step to a kingdom life. It's the first step into the kingdom. And it isn't about emotion, and it isn't about groveling, and it isn't about falling into a pattern. It's about turning from one thing to another. And perhaps we overcomplicate it. One last idea here related to kingdom. When it comes to kingdoms, please understand there is no kingdom without a king. <laughs> that, that just seems obvious. Captain Obvious. I need a t-shirt that says that. Captain Obvious. There's no kingdom without a king, and if we want a kingdom life, we first have to acknowledge and then live with the king. You can't be a citizen of the kingdom without knowing what the king wants you to do, right? Think of it this way. Kingdom power begins with the presence of the king. We talked about that last week, I think. Call it worship. <clears throat> and now you're beginning to see how these ideas keep coming back and around over and over again, for me, this is what's been bubbling up in my journal for the last probably couple of months. Maybe the last year, but definitely within the last couple of months, I've noticed this. 
idea here that the presence of God and the power of God are connected one to another and you can't have one without the other and kingdom power begins with the presence of the king and how on earth can I exercise kingdom power if I don't know what the king wants me to do? Are you tracking with me? Nod your head so I know you're awake. There we go. This is important, I think, for us as a church, but also as individual disciples. And so my question for you today is, where do you need the transformation? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you noticed that you got a crazy ache going on? Some of you are going, so many, I can't count them all. You know, I got a chain of eights, right? I know how that goes. I'll bet you know what they are. And so will you today recognize those patterns and ask God to free you. And I think the place where you start with all of that is by saying Jesus is king. And if I want to be free to live a kingdom life, I have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is king. So repent enough to be saved, but also repent enough to see the kingdom. To be a part of the kingdom, to step into the kingdom, to do kingdom sorts of things. But it all starts with a simple acknowledgement that Jesus is king. And then you've got to spend time with him. A friend of mine puts it this way, the presence of God is the cost of discipleship. And I think a lot of us, myself included from time to time, feel like we can follow God but never connect with God. We feel like we can be citizens of the kingdom without spending time with the king. Here's the upshot. You can spend time with the king. You're not outside You're not watching him on TV. You're actually spending time with him in his throne room. You can do that. Be in the majesty of God. Kingdom power begins with the presence of the king. And I don't know where you are today or the things that you're wrestling with. Um, I know some of them because some of you you tell me them. But I imagine that there's a lot going on kind of world we live in, circumstances. A lot of crazy eights, I'm sure. Because we're human. And I wonder today if today might be the first step for you um, towards freedom. I wonder if that, that might be the case for you. God, Would you please speak to us today? We're not servants, we're friends. Friends of Jesus. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. And you're a good father and not a taskmaster. You're also king. And you love us. And I'm still trying to get my head around that. And so, Lord, as we're gathered here today, I I know that people are wrestling with, with stuff. I know they are. 
my prayer, Lord, is that you would reach down and speak to them exactly what they need to hear. So as you're sitting there, it's kind of quiet. Take a moment and just clear your mind. Holy Spirit, would you simply clean out the noise in everyone's head? And as you're sitting there, would you, uh, would you simply ask God, it doesn't have to be have to be complex. He gets you. But just say, Lord, what needs to change? Or maybe, maybe you know exactly what it is. I mean, you are so filled with shame because you're still dealing with the same nonsense. Holy Spirit, would you come and clean out the shame in our heads? In the name of Jesus, by the blood of the cross, voice of shame must be silent and declare it now. And if you're sitting at home and you're watching this online, maybe the kids are making noise or whatever, just take a second. pause and clean out the noise and simply ask God, Lord, I, I, I know there's, there's things that I need to change. Lord, how do I do that? What's the first thing that pops into your head? That's not shame. <laughs> it has to be silent now so there's no room for shame. Don't let it back in. It doesn't need to be there. What's going on in your head? What's God speaking to you? Maybe it's just a whisper and you can barely hear it. That's okay. Keep listening. Keep listening all day today if you have to. Or maybe it's something that you know you need to do and you're terrified of it. God, would you drown out that fear with love? Perfect love drives out fear. Oh, God, fill people with your love today. You said you'd never leave us or forsake us. Sometimes we don't understand how things occur. and <laughs> But God, we're going to trust you today. I'm going to trust that you're going to speak in a way that everybody understands in the way that speaks most powerfully to their heart. Just come, Holy Spirit. There's only things that you can do. We're going to worship a little bit more and sing and just invite you to keep listening. Don't be surprised if it comes through a lyric of a song and don't be surprised if it comes in a conversation later. Don't be surprised if it's just this word that's repeating in your mind. I, who knows? God's up to something. Trust the fact that he's up to something, that he's up to something in you because he loves you that much. Before he created the world, he thought about you. 
not just this general you know, concept of you, but you as a person and all the experiences that you've had and all of the, the stuff that you've dealt with and all of the things that you've overcome and all the things that you've failed on. He thought about all those things and he still loves you and he wants to be with you and wants to be a part of the things that you're doing. God, speak in that voice. But good Father who only gives good gifts who loves us unconditionally. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. If you need to have somebody pray with you, I'm, I'm just going to tuck myself over in the corner over here. Come on down. Let's chat. It's cool. Don't worry about... Um, Anybody else? They got their own stuff they're dealing with. They got their own crazy ache. You don't have to worry about yours. If you're watching online and you need somebody to pray with you, um, I know Pastor James is online right now and is uh, willing to do that in either private message or a phone call. Whatever you need, we're here. This is freedom. Don't waste it. Don't waste the opportunity to be free to make a step into the kingdom and to, to do kingdom things. Jesus, you are Lord. We know that you are here because we are gathered in your name and by your word. It says that you are with us. There, there's more than two of us who are gathered in your name. And as we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. You are wanted. You are hoped for. Come. In Jesus' name.